Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, the unfamiliar, nostalgic feel of me recording after watching a European race in the middle of the night. This was Giro <laughs> dell'Emilia, uh, not a stage one. It's a one-day race around Bologna, finishing on the San Luca climb. It's actually a really attractive race. They do two longer climbs uh, earlier, but there's never anything that really happens there. It's 200 k's in total. The main part of the race is five reps of the San Luca climb, which is 2Ks at 10%. They've used it in the Giro a couple of times. It was, I think, the climb that Roglic and Campanats, uh, their Giro d'Italia had a time trial on it. And last year, Roglic just went nuclear on this. Almeida and Avonapol were attacking him. Great race. The only problem is uh, the rights have been with Rye for an up like a number of years and they don't broadcast it outside of Italy. We'll talk about that maybe. Actually, no, I won't talk about it. I'm sick of talking about it. It's just a joke because the start <laughs> list is ridiculous to not have this broadcast overseas. Pagacha here, Martinez, Adam Yates, Simon Yates, uh, Enric Maas, David Godou. The list goes on and on, but UAE were probably the strongest overall team with Micah Hirschi, Ulisi Pog, Formolo, ridiculous team. So it was, it's a tune up for Lombardia, Benji. Um, but Roglic won, didn't win Lombardia last year. What did you think UAE's tactics would have been going into the race with Ulisi and Pog? Um, do you think just smash for Pog? I think smash for Pog. I think Pogacar is still on the standard of a leader in races like this as well. And we saw them really classify that the second we went towards the San Luca climb as well. In this race, we know that they've got a strong team. You mentioned it. They've got a strong team with riders that on paper, two years ago, if we saw Hirschi, we would say, potentially that rider could even compete for the victory in Emilia. It's a hilly, punchy race, but it goes more towards the climbers usually, not necessarily the pure punchers because of all the altitude meters. And we saw this race with a breakaway up the road, of which Holsens was honestly the, the strongest rider of Antre and the rest of the breakaway riders gently, one by one, dropping off the front. And the action came on the fourth loss, San Luca is where I saw it at least, where Yoi had been keeping control for the fifth loss and the fourth loss San Luca climb, and... Then we suddenly saw moves on the fourth last San Luca climb. We saw the likes of Remy Rochat for Cofidis making a move towards the front, trying to catch up with the man himself up front, Colbert Golsons for Intermarché. Bacalons also joining that Rocha move, but he had a Chasse-Patard and Rocha had a mechanical. So in the end, neither of those riders actually made it I'm to the front. I'm not convinced Rocha was... had a mechanical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not convinced. I would have faked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could have been a could have been a Remco situation from the Vuelta. Um, <laughs> oh, I got a puncture! I got a puncture! Um, no three kilometer rule for you, Remy. Sorry, go on, Benji. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yui was pacing quite hard behind with Micah, but not at an insane pace yet. I do feel like riders by Yui were already dropping without doing the most of the work. I think when Micah went to the front, that's when the tempo kind of started going up and we saw it going up even more the second time well the next time they go over the san luca climb the third last san luca climb and we saw more action there right like yui was pacing with micah yulisi hirshi with formula and pogi in the wheel of that so to me it was clear that it would be similar to the pogachar launches we've seen in the past right where formula does the 
the the leader for Pogacar, but we saw some of Jank's brother riders on that climb too, right? Like a Gegenhardt? I don't know if that was on the descent or or what. I because the camera work is a little bit shoddy. They don't like to have the motorbikes too close in front of them on the descent going into it because it's super fast because the guys know every corner because they do it six times and they've done it for years, a lot of them. Um, I don't know whether they attacked there or just at the top going into the descent because, yeah, DeMarkey, Gagenhart, um, I'm not sure who else tried to get ahead. I have to say, apart from those two, absolute shocker for Ineos in Israel today. Like, you look at Israel's teams, Benji, team it's a really good team for this race dylan turns mike woods full sang demarkey who i think has won trevala varicina and giradella Emilia uh before simon clark and i don't expect corbin strong to be doing well on this parkour and they're just not competitive whatsoever. They weren't even making i don't think the group of 20 15 later so they're getting relegated it's been a, a shocking season and it's not finishing well either for that team. And so a lot of guys getting paid a lot of money who aren't performing when the chips are down on that team and whether that's their fault, whether that's the team. I don't know. Some of Full Sang's comments, uh, if I was a prospective team looking at him, uh, left a lot to be desired in the last couple of weeks. Anyway, before we get to the second last San Luca mention on the 3rd of October, which is in two days on Monday, one day for me because it's Sunday for me right now, the Zwift Hub goes on sale. There's, it's not too late to pre-register. Zwift are breaking down the barriers to indoor training by making the most affordable indoor trainer at that sort of level back wheel off indoor trainer that's easier to set up than any other trainer on the market coming pre-installed with Shimano, SRAM or Campag, a cassette of your choice, a speed of your choice. To, so to sign up for notifications for when the Zwift Hub goes on sale or to find out more about Zwift and the new uh, smart trainer, head to Zwift.com down below. But this is where I think UAE were a little bit lacking in creativity in that I think they had overall the strongest team. And when that DeMarkey move is gone, they had a decision to make going into the descent, or sorry, going into now second last uh, San Luca, was it? Um, maybe maybe I've skipped one. I don't think I have. The They could have sent Ulysse with them. And then you have a group of DeMarkey, Gagenhart, Ulysse ahead. Now, Movistar have to spend Sosa or Valverde to chase, or someone else has to chase. Instead, they get Ulisi, who I think was very strong, to chase the entire move, to pace the whole descent, to then pace the half of second last San Luca, not using Formolo either. Formolo never hits the front for a meaningful reason in this race. It's not how I would have played it, because Benji, if Pog's the strongest... It doesn't matter. He wins. He gets the front. But if he's equal, if he's 5% less, well, then you, he's not going to win. So, or do you think that's too, like, do you think Ulysses going ahead is not a good situation for them in that group? I think it would be a good situation. I agree that they could have played it differently, but I think they started this race with the plan that 
Pogacar has the lead with most of the race that Pogacar is here. And that day didn't necessarily adapt to whatever was happening on the road and still thought their plan was a good idea at that point. Then I think it's not a terrible plan either. Like facing all out for Pogacar, there's a, a significant chance that a top form Pogacar destroys everyone once you do that. But the question is, was he going to be a top form Pogacar today? And that's the thing that we saw a bit later. We saw all the moves getting caught back by the pacing of UAE. Basically, everybody's caught. Plan is basically simple for UAE. We got to launch Pogacar at some point. That's kind of the plan. But it was not UAE that made the first attack. It was on the second last San Luca when an attack came from an unexpected corner, the corner of Aolo. Lorenzo Fortunato was like, come on, big guns. I'll show you what I've got. He goes off the front, and we see a response by the likes of Pogacar and Enric Mas, and the rest had some issues following, I guess, but also Fortunato just didn't hold on for much longer. And we had Pogacar and Mas up the road, right? Uh, the Pozzavivo erasure. Pozzavivo, oh, yeah, I believe, yeah. was there for a little bit. I mean, Ulisi, <laughs> and and I'm not sure who it was. I thought it was Polans, but it wasn't. It must have been Hirschi. The UAE guys, like, they reduced this group. I couldn't see. The Yates were gone. Israel were gone. Gadu, I couldn't see. I think it was Mollard. Ruben Fernandez looked okay. Padun and uh, Uran were there. But, yeah, like, this group was 15, 12 deep before Fortunato attacked, which, of course, was a terrible idea. <laughs> like, Fortunato <laughs> could not have had worse tactics in the last 20 kilometers of this race. <laughs> like, unbelievably bad, but exciting nonetheless, I guess. Um, and this is where Mars showed his hand with attacking Pog over the top of Fortunato, drop spots of Vivo, who goes to the back of the group with Formolo and Valverde, who are sitting on marking group two. And I think Mars almost overplays his hand here, where on the San Luca climb, it's the steep bit, there's the S, there's a twisty bend, and then it levels off through a narrow little arch, and then they go up. And that flattens off a bit. There's like a last 700 meters. There's like a, it's like six, seven percent, not as steep. And Mas hits Pog, attacks him again, and I think attacks him kind of twice. And Pog looks under pressure, but Mas doesn't fully commit to it. Maybe it was on his limit, but Pog was definitely under pressure. And I thought, ooh, first of all, Enric, I'm not surprised you got good legs because in the world <laughs> he had great legs. He was stronger than Remco in the last week. Third, uh, Secondly, now you have now you've shown Pagacha your hand. Now Pagacha knows I can't trust that I'm just gonna drop you on the last San Luca, whereas maybe Pog would have been overconfident before then. Um and also Mars could have played Valverde behind. Did you think I don't know, I I don't think Mars thought he could actually go clear there and hold it for fifteen Ks. I don't think he had that confidence either, but maybe that's the problem. Maybe he wanted to know before they reached the last San Luca, okay, how are my legs compared to the others? What if I go now and see who is able to respond and how Pogacar is looking when I respond, that I know what I need to do as tactics on the last climb? Do you think that's a viable option as well? A possibility that he tried to like test the waters? I think so. That would make sense because, yeah, he could see, okay, I... Pog was really, really struggling to react. And they did that second last one quicker than the last climb. They did that in uh, six, no, 5.50. And the last climb was done in six minutes. So that was 7.27 watts per kilo for Mars and Pogacar. So, yeah, flying on that last lap. They get to the descent. 
Pogacar and Mars are relaying. Neither is really committing. Pogacar through a technical corner. Um, Mars nearly dies behind him. He fishtails a little bit <laughs> for breaking, but Mars is in the drops. I mean, his descending looks different to uh, the tour, that's for sure. So he's changed that. But behind, Uran's attacked a group because Formolo has been neutralizing everything for Pogacar. Good tactics. Fortunato has just been attacking like uh, for no reason. Like he's 50 kilos attacking on false flat uphill. And Pozzavivo, Uran go clear. Good descenders, I think Uran is. And then Valverde bridges to them. And so now for Mars, he should sit on. Because he's got Bala coming back. Bala could attack. And what, but that's all in theory. Because when Valverde comes back, Uran immediately attacks the group. I thought Valverde was going to attack the group because that would make sense, right? That's what Remco did for Almeida last year in this exact race. He didn't. I knew he wouldn't do it. And, in fact, you see a run run attack, and it's Mars that has to shut it down. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is all the wrong way around. Eventually, they got it right. (laughs) Valverde leading out Mars, who then gives Pogaccio the wheel, sits on Pog's wheel, positive there, Uran there. What did you, honest hand on heart, Benji, did you think Movistar were going to stuff it when you saw the camera shot going under the arch into the base of San Luca? I think the scary thing that I was thinking was, you just said it, they have Valverde in that group. When Valverde was spacing, that's when I thought, okay, this is going to go okay. My fear was going to be that they would let Valverde sit on and hope that he could sit on until the end and have a sprint against the others at the end. That's my fear, what they could have done. But when I saw Valverde at the front, I was expecting Moss to be able to have some attack, and it would be a question of, can Moss actually pull it off again and put Pogacar in enough trouble to get him off the wheel this time around? Then, then the producer started showing Fortunato, and I started enjoying Fortunato for about, what was it? Felt like a decade, but a, a good 30 seconds? I mean, you're going to have to go and get a coffee, Benji. I don't know what time it is there. Like... <laughs> You organize this race on a Saturday. You block off the streets of Bologna. You put up fences. You have hundreds of people working on it. You spend thousands of euro organizing it. You have Rye broadcast it, except they don't even bother to broadcast it. We have thousands of people using a VPN to watch this goddamn race in Italy because they can't watch it any other way. We've sat through, the riders have done 200 kilometers. The teams have spent hours getting there, thousands of euro in logistics to get there. You have arguably the best rider in the world in group one. You have an Italian in group one as well. You have motorbikes ahead. You're on the final climb of the day and you don't show the fucking winning move. What is the producer doing? Fortunato is not even the best placed Italian in the race. They showed him for 40 seconds uninterrupted. They did not show. They did not show Group 1, except from the rear-end camera shot of them entering the San Luca climb. What the fuck were they thinking? Like, this keeps happening in cycling. <laughs> like, how can you miss the winning attack? Like, we sit through Hamilton Grand Tours all the time, but whatever. But, like, this is obvious there's going to be something happening. Makes no sense. Terrible. Master attacks Pog. And that's it. He holds on and is able to distance them with Valverde. I presume Valverde just did a good lead out and Mars dropped Pog and then Pog was able to beat Pozzo for third. But I wasn't surprised, actually, Benji. Um, I was surprised Mars went so early, to be honest. I thought he'd go on the S-Ben. But, yeah, 
What a move from Enric, like his first one-day win ever. It's crazy. I was not expecting Mas to win this race because I was not expecting Mas to win any one-day race. And to see him do it in such a way where he's so aggressive throughout the parkour as well as something we would not expect from a Mas two years ago, for example. And he's become so much more confident in his own moves and himself, it seems, on the road during the Vuelta as well. Compared to, for example, after the tour where he was... So, I don't know, he was being criticized for descending, he knew his ascending was bad, he stated it that he needed to work on it, he seems to have worked on it based on what I can view, because he is in the drops in the sense, it's fascinating to see him win this race, I'm happy that he wins this race, because it's been a year and a half be- and, uh, since he won anything, like, I think so at least, when it comes to Enigmas, second in the Vuelta every time, that's just, it's wonderful to see, but when it comes to Pogacar, he's not in... Top form. Let's be honest about it. Top form Pogacar stays with Mars and tries to beat him at the end. That's how I see that. But could it be that the effect towards Ineos, the effect towards Nana Philippe, the effect towards Pogacar is related to them riding world champs and coming from Australia recently? Or do you think they're just not, they were just not in the race today? Uh, Pog's got an excuse. I mean, Pog was pretty close to pretty good. But yeah, maybe missing 1% or 2%, it's definitely excusable. I would say Ineos having no one in the top 10, a little bit less excusable. Did Danny Martinez, or I mean Rodriguez, he was injured, I know, in the Vuelta. But yeah, um, did Adam Yates do the world champs? Simon Yates? So Adam did, I think. Adam did, did he? I don't know. I don't remember anymore. Yeah. Maybe anyway. not. Anyway. <laughs> Not good <laughs> from Ineos. <laughs> Israel, no one in the top 10. So relegation is pretty much done. Lotto as well, no one in the top 10. Movistar, 300 points. Uh, EF, 85. So, yeah, that's just points on points for them. And, oh, sorry, I will do the top 10. Mas Pogaccia, Pozza Vivo, Valverde, 4th. Uran, 5th. Fortunato, 6th. Fernandez, 7th. Mollard, 8th. Formolo, 9th. Stora, 10th. And I just think... An interesting case study where Pagacha wasn't the strongest today. UAE's tactics presupposed that he was the strongest and it didn't work out. And by the time they realized he wasn't the strongest, it was too late because they'd burnt the whole team. So, yep. as I, I know, hindsight, but I would have played Formolo a bit earlier because really he didn't impact the race at all. Formolo, he just finished ninth and okay, he marked Fortunato in group two a little bit, but I think he could have impacted the race a little bit more uh, earlier. You think they could have played it similar to the one day races they had in the earlier part of the season, the ones without Pogacar where uh, Corvi went up the road and yeah, then Poland's and so forth, and they kept going and attacking left and right. On one end, you create situations where Pogacar might not be in the ideal spot if you've got riders up the road and not necessarily plenty with them anymore. But they have enough riders to do that uh, tactic with riders up the road and still have riders with Pogacar. So I think they could have played it more offensively throughout the parkour. But I also think that going into this race, if you have Pogacar in the team, their tactic was not necessarily something that you would say, oh, that's garbage before the race. It's a tactic that everybody before the race would have said, I understand if you think that Pogacar is strong, that you play this out, you know? Yeah, exactly. But even so, uh, it could maybe put Pogacar in a seat a little bit. Um, 
with Mars having to chase on that second last San Luca with Ulisi ahead instead. Um, could have been a little bit different. But anyway, great race. Shame it's difficult to watch, but it is a fantastic race every year in high-level performance from Mars. We have Lombardia in a week. He's definitely shot himself up the probably the betting for that race. Um, I'm not sure if he's doing Trevale Varacine midweek, which is another dot pro race, I think. Um, but yeah, Mars is someone to not to be trifled with in Lombardia with longer climbs too. I think uh, talking about coverage, you mentioned it about the men's race, but the women's race had no coverage at all. So it was really hard to follow that one. I think Longo Borghini won that one, but she seemed to have just jumped on the on the one San Luca climb that there was in that race because they only have one in the women's race. Like, why don't they have more than one San Luca climb in the women's race? I really don't get that. It's like it's like a UAE tour stage. It's flat and San Luca. I don't get it. It can be more. I think because they're scheduling and they have it on at the same time, the women's race, so they have to have the women, I think, finishing on San Luca before the men enter the circuit. Uh, that being said, like they could start them earlier and actually do the do some other climbs preceding it, one would think. But yeah, there's delayed coverage of that, I think, on Rye. So like no one outside of Italy is going to be able to watch that. But yeah, Longaborghini won, which uh, with an attack we haven't seen yet ahead of you is Enberti Zolo. So Longaborghini still good at the back end of the year. Um, but otherwise, we have some. Other sort of news that's been permeating through the last week or so, the biggest of which I would say it might not have been news at all. It was the rumour that Renko Avenapool, world champion, winner of the world, he's had a good couple of months. News reported, I don't know if it was based on from another Flemish article or whether it was original reporting, that Lefebvre said, Lefebvre being the boss of Quickstep, that Brailsford texted him after the Vuelta uh, along the lines of, congrats on winning the Vuelta. you got a great champion on your hands, Remco Avenapol. If you ever want to sell him, let me know. Um, to which I wrote that article saying that Remco's – the thing – so let's cut there, Benji, before we get to the chronology yep. of Lefebvre's rebuttals. This started the rumour mill. And what I don't get is, I understand, listen, Ineos being interested in Remco, who wouldn't be? It makes sense. What I don't get is here, the rumours seem to be that the interest was mutual. I never saw any evidence that Remco was interested or Quickstep were interested in selling him, but yet that was sort of what the news cycle was saying. Yeah, to that point, there was no real news from Remco Evenepoel being intrigued by that Ineos interest at all so far we know that we've spoken about Remco potentially fitting in a team like Ineos but nothing based on factual information that Remco Evenpool was like oh I would like to join Ineos like he hasn't said that yet and to be honest Lefebvre also his responses were very similar as well but I throw it back to you before we actually read the responses that Lefebvre gave over the last couple of days what did you think about the initial article like did you think okay this is just not happening my initial thought was that Lefebvre was trying to someone's leaked it and I doubt it's Ineos and to me it looks like Lefebvre kind of flexing and it's a bit humiliating for Ineos because it's essentially 
Ineos saying, <laughs> please, we don't, we want to win now. Like it makes sense to me that behind the scenes, Ratcliffe hasn't won the tour for three years and they want to win the tour and Remco's pretty good, but it looks a bit like, you know, a lack of faith in the guys they've just signed or the current GC contenders and they looks a bit desperate. But that being said, we haven't seen the text either. Um it could have just been tongue in cheek. Um, I don't think so, though. Like, no, it's a weird joke to make. Like, it's not really a joke. <laughs> like, if you want to sell him, let me know. Like, haha. Um, <laughs> it's not really a joke. It's kind of serious uh, point. So I don't know. I didn't really. I just thought it was the favor of making Enios kind of look bad, um, and it did because the next day he like went on radio or like on some Flemish radio. And he said, it's not happening, 0.0% chance. Patrick Avenapol and Remco called me saying no chance. They were shocked. And he said it'll cost $100 million or euros, sorry. Or <laughs> actually, dollars might be euros in the toilet right now. Um, whatever. <laughs> currency's changing a lot, as the Britons know. Um, it costs 100 milli of your currency for Ineos to buy Avenapol. So that was that, Benji. And then they, were, they put up an Instagram of them at dinner. So... What did you think then, this storm in a teacup that ended before it started? Yes, certainly. There's also an aspect to it where Lefebvre said, he was like, I don't know where I saw the article, but he was going in-depth about this entire thing and started mentioning that his response to the message that Brelsford had sent them was not to the likes of like, oh yeah, you can have an MCO. Obviously, that was not the response. The response was more like, if I retire, Ineos Group can buy up the entire team. Because he's mentioned that a few times over the years that he doesn't know what will happen to the Quick Step team as he retires, what the plans are afterwards. And that's the, it's the, the stuff he said there. What, sorry? I'll tell you. I'll buckle the The billionaire will put me in. <laughs> Patrick 2.0. <laughs> Okay, deal. <laughs> what will happen the to the kangaroo podcast pack. then? <laughs> What's a pack of kangaroos called? I don't know. <laughs> this must be a specific term for it. Change all the branding, have to change all the cars. And the, they won't be using BMWs from Luxembourg. They'll be based in Andorra and they'll be using Holden Commodores as the team cars. Anyway, sorry, go on, Benji. <laughs> yeah, basically that was like the uh, the input that Lefebvre gave to Brelsford as well. But all in all, like... When we see this happening, there's an entire storm of, of stuff happening throughout the, uh, the days because we had that message initially, people on social media jumping on that message, thinking, okay, there's something in this. And there's also the aspect, we were talk- talking about it, like the evening itself of the initial message being reported, like how much would it cost? Lefebvre is 100 million. I had it more pinpointed at 30 to 50 million the first time I thought about it because... How does one come up with the idea of how much it would cost to buy an M Quavenpool out of a contract? Well, you've got to keep in mind, Quickstep has sponsors. They've got Quickstep, they've got Sudal, they've got loads of other smaller sponsors as well involved that uh, quite a few of them signed up based on the fact that M Quavenpool is in the team. Like, I'm pretty sure that the Sudal put more money on the table because Avenapool is in that team. And that goes for other sponsors as well. And I think Lefebvre also mentioned that, let's say that the Remco Avenapool leaves the team. A part of his 100 million calculation was based on the fact that some of these sponsor was, sponsors would require damages being paid out to them because 
Remco even pull is part of the deal in that sponsorship agreement. So how did I come up with the 30-50 guesstimate that I went into that evening? Well, I was thinking sponsorships need to be somewhat paid in the sense that let's say that Quickstep and Sudal will reduce their sponsorships if Remco goes for the length of the contract of Evenepoel of four years, I think 2026, that's four years of roughly five to seven and a half million plus an extra bit to actually buy Remco out of the team and his future performances being valued at future investments as well. Like all that combined, that's a lot of money. And you think that's too much because we're talking about big football transfers being 100 million and so forth. Would it be crazy to just have like a transfer buyout in cycling of like 30 to 50 million? No, it wouldn't be because like what would be the point of building up Remco, going through the, the crash, he wins the Vuelta, he wins the World Championships, he's not even done a race in the Rainbow Bands yet, Belgian on a Belgian team to then sell him, what would be the whole, at that point you'd think, what's the point in Quickstep existing? Like this is the reason you exist is for a ride like this, of this level, Belgian, um, to see where he can go and break the Tour de France drought and to sell him before you've even done a tour with him. It just wouldn't make sense. And even, as you said, financially, like the whole team, the sponsor contracts hinge on him. That does mean, though, he <laughs> they had to have a, a meeting, and I think Patrick Avenipol is the agent of Remco, so I don't think Remco – I'm not sure his contract has been the highest level relative to his value. You can't have Lefebvre saying he's worth $100 million to the team and Remco is earning a million a year, 1.5 a year, which I reckon is the region pre-Vuelta. Um, if he's worth $100 million, well – you got to pay him at least four a year. Probably he's worth five to six a year. If Pog's on six, Remco should be on six uh, sort of region as well, given the value to sponsors. Maybe he won't probably get paid that amount. Um, mm-hmm. He hasn't won the tour twice, but like he should be paid a lot of money. So I presume they're doing a renegotiation. Uh, and that was what the dinner was, reaffirming their commitment to each other and probably – well, I mean, he's, he's signed through like 2026, so I'd be, I'd be surprised if they do an extension, but are you so extended too? I mean, UAE extend their guys and seem to keep them happy too. So anyway, it, what do you think though, Benji? Like who comes out? I think Quickstep come out neutral in this. It doesn't matter. Like Remco's going to get probably his salary upped. He's not leaving. Ineos, on the other hand, like do you believe Ineos – this is the one thing we haven't – do you believe Ineos were genuinely interested? Like if Lefebvre said, let's talk, they would go all in. All in would be big, I think. But I think there's certainly some interest from Ineos' side to get a new top spot in their team. I heard some rumors recently that Rodriguez has signed for Movistar in 2024. There's no confirmation of that yet. But if that's true, they're losing riders left and right that – could potentially be their big guns in the future and i think they quite certainly are looking for that new star in their team because they don't have a certainty when it comes to bernal and yeah i think ineos come out of this a bit looking slightly desperate in that sense i think when it comes to quickstep and sudel they'll be happy with their sponsor name being in the, all over the news and i think lefebvre is even pretty happy with how this turns out he gets to flex about that mqa even being intrigued by other teams on the other end, it could also have an influence on 
And M. Craven pulls personal feelings. Let's say that in the media, Lefebvre starts talking about the amount of money that Remco is worth. Like you mentioned earlier, like Remco could think, okay, well, how about my money? Like, like you mentioned, like that stuff could also be a, a consequence of that. But I do think like if we outside of the, the situation here, look at which team would Remco Evenepoel in 2023 be getting the best results at? And I'd say Ineos, no? It's tough. It's tough because... Who would his, okay? Who would his domestiques be? Say he does Tour de France next year. What team would they put with him? He would have Thomas. Thomas. Okay, his TTs. I think it's not going to get worse. I don't think might might even get better with like big. Avenapol is like Bigham's dream, right? He could put him <laughs> in some mental position um, and CDA of zero. So. <laughs> Thomas Sivakov, Martinez, Swift, Turner, Kwiatkowski. It's a better team. It's more experienced. It's a better team. Is it that much better? Is it peak sky level? I don't know. And I think the disappointing thing, I mean, you know, you got Vivica, Alaphilippe. Alaphilippe was good before he crashed out of Welter. Cavagna, De Klerk. The disappointing thing if I'm Remco is I'm thinking, why the fuck did you sign Tim Millier? I've been on a discount and you're signing Tim Millier instead of, I know you got Jan Hirt, but where's Wild Poles? Where's Connor Swift? Who would have fit in the classic squad? You know, I know probably Ineos, he would have gone there anyway. But that's the one question mark where I'm like, okay, quick step, you, you need to really start signing some Grand Tour domestiques. I agree with that. I also would say that the reason I said Ineos, for example, being the better spot for next year is that I think there is a differentiation in potential goals, whether he's at Quickstep or at Ineos for me. If I look at Quickstep and I look at the Giro parkour next year, Remco Evenepoel perfectly fits that parkour and should be going to the Giro, in my personal opinion. I think a lot of people disagree and want to see him at the Tour de France. I think he should do the Giro next year. If that parkour indeed has three time trials, 70k ITT kilometers, that's just perfect for him. He can win that Giro based on that parkour, and he doesn't need the all-out best team at the Giro to make it happen. At the Tour de France, he would require a really strong team, and the likes of sprinters like Jakobs and Merlier, what is the plan with Quickstep and their sprinters? Alaphilippe will want some stuff as well. Like, Remco Evenepoel going to the Tour would just have an influence on so many other stakeholders within the team, riders in the team that also have goals and include the Tour de France that I think that will be very difficult to balance for Lefebvre already for the Tour de France next season. Adinios, he'd straight up be co-leader at the Tour de France. That's how I see that, if not leader at the Tour de France. That's the simple fact. And I think that Ineos would be more leading him towards the Tour de France participation next year, while a quick step would lead him towards a Giro participation next year. I think that's a difference between the two teams and his future if he would have had the decision to go somewhere, which is not really the case because he's basically basically confirmed that he stays at Quickstep to Lefebvre. Yeah, and there's still, you know, Alaphilippe on the books and you're right, it would all be Tour de France, that's why they'd buy him out, but it's not happening. So we'll see what the Tour de France parkour looks like. And we'll see what Ineos do, what teams they put together. Because 
there's another rider available on the market. Maybe, speaking of mountain domestiques, you can get on a discount. <laughs> Naira Quintana um, today announced that he won't be riding for Arkea Samsic after 2022. The team then communicated uh, as well the same to that effect. And this is after, of course, his uh, the annulment of his Tour de France results for two tramadol positive cases on the Planche de Belfia and the Grenon stages, 7 and 11, which is not, just to reiterate, is not an anti-doping violation. It is just a UCI rule that you can't take tramadol in competition. And so there was no suspension. There's no anti-doping rule violation. And yet his contract, which two days before the finding was announced by the UCI, it was announced two days before that there was a three-year extension between Quintana and Arkea. And so the curious part here is what happened? Because I don't think you can legally rip up a contract, not the ones I've seen for something that's not an anti-doping rule violation. At least it's a grey area and you could get fought on it. So there's a rumour that it was a verbal agreement and so they've just reneged Arkea on Nairo. And like, what do you think's happened, Benji? Do you think they just... They just ripped it up or they just both mutually agreed it's not happening? Well, obviously, I don't know the behind the scenes, but I agree that it's more likely to be a verbal agreement that was ripped up afterwards. I will note that the perfect translation of the Archaea message that mentions the non-renewal of Nairo Quintana, which, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily declare that Archaea was the one that rips it up, but... That's the initial thought of it, you know, because Arkea has this way of like communicating with the outside world on their Twitter where they give such non-transparent communication, but it's low-key understandable considering the topic. But every single press communique I've seen recently of them says, but we won't talk further on the topic. And the problem with that is that one, you don't know the actual stuff that happens. So the people will start filling up the gaps themselves and then you will get stories that might not be the true story become the all-around narrative. And maybe that verbal agreement narrative is incorrect, but that's what they get for not communicating it properly. That's what they get for not letting the story come out. Perhaps they have an agreement where they won't communicate it, like they have some NDA about it. Is that a possibility like the Hirschi one? Yeah, that's possible. But I mean, if they had a verbal agreement, price agreed, years agreed, and it's being announced on the team's Twitter. And his agent, who, according to First Cycling's Aquadro, didn't have that signed <laughs> and the T's crossed, then, man, that is a fuck-up of monumental um, scale to not get it. Like, how does it get announced if it's not actually signed? Like, maybe I'm just a bookish lawyer still who likes things to be signed <laughs> and I don't trust people. But even so, like, if it is so agreed to the point where you're announcing it, it's still agreed. Like, you have an agreement and, yeah, obviously, Arkea, like, presume, presumably from the Nairo side, why would he want to rip up a, a three-year contract? So it must be the team, one would think, not wanting to continue. 
um, you know, French team, NPCC, you know, that's their position on it. Um, the reason they're going into World Tour is large, uh, you know, for a, a big part, Naira Quintana's points uh, throughout the last few years. Of course, they lost the 400 from the Tour, but they won't be having his points in the future. Um and yeah, it also means probably Anacona and Flores and some other Dyer Quintana won't be on Arcaea either, one would think. Yeah, I don't think Dyer Quintana is the biggest loss in the world, to be honest. But all in all, he was still like, ah, he's still that man that you put in a hotel room together with Nairo Quintana, just in case some people knock on the door exactly. in the middle of the night so that Quintana doesn't get arrested in Australia. That's why Dyer Quintana exists to go Actually to jail instead of Nairo. A year. <laughs> it actually is yeah <laughs> exactly but uh on like on a serious note there is some questioning when it comes to this team when it comes to the future they're going into world tour now they have not announced too many signings they've got very limited riders actually announced for 2023 they probably have more signed than they are sharing with the public but quintana being a rider outside of that is one spare point of the team that is gone what their future has for them, I don't know, because we need to know more about their potential transfers. I think Sean Poussin was a rumored name, for example. I don't know if you actually... Okay, for example, Sean Poussin is one of the riders, but he's not the Nairo Quintana of the world when it comes to what he could bring to that team. I will note one more thing about Tramadol for a second. I read somewhere on Reuters recently that Tramadol is being added to the WADA ban list in the future. So that's a change that's upcoming. I don't know what the period is at which that will go into effect but that's something you can know from this point onwards that let's say a rider in whenever that's active let's say a rider has that happen again then it's an actual doping offense but for now it's not and the question now is well what happens with nairo he's contesting it (laughs) in cas which i think is a I know you can't tell a man what to do about his reputation and it, and if he hasn't taken it and believes he hasn't taken it, then you have to fight it. But I'll say the prospects of success probably, I don't know, depends on the test. I don't know the test ins and outs, but it's a lot of hassle to go through, particularly if the contract, you're never getting it back for an anti-doping rule violation. Sorry, for something that is not an anti-doping rule violation. Um, it's just a disqualification in a particular event that being said and and that cast appeal will that be resolved quick enough for him to get a contract easier next year probably not he's going to have to be talking to teams now if he wants to continue so that's the question and and would a team that he's signing for say listen no just put that to bed put it behind you because if you do the cast appeal then you lose the cast appeal the news cycle goes again about it and it reminds everybody um but of course you know he has his right to appeal if he thinks he can win and didn't do it uh where do you think he goes if anywhere benji who needs nara quintana presumably i love riders on discount i love riders um <laughs> i would have signed lopez as soon as he got in the Movistar car that would have been me on the phone to him as he's getting in the car i would have said get your wife off line one i'm on line two lopez let's talk for 2022 Uh, i think vina kurov literally did do that Um, so who do you think is interested in nara quintana i think vina kurov is one of the people that might be intrigued by this i think uh, a companionship with miguel angel lopez would be pretty funny with the two colombians in the attack but i think another team that might be intrigued are the ones that need points and i'm looking at 
a BNB with a bag of money in their hands. Is that a team that would be intrigued by that? I don't know if they're in the MPCC. I don't know if that would influence their signing policy. But regardless of that for a second, that's a team that needs points based on their goals, which haven't been set publicly. But I'm guessing that they want to step up as quickly as possible to World Tour based on the fact that they've got a rumored 19 million in their pocket. So if that's indeed the case, then a Quintana could go to a team like that. Are there other teams where you're like, oh, this fits that? Yeah, Total and BNB. Total, you know, they really should be trying to make World Tour and there's no better time to pick up points than in February at the start of the three-year cycle in Tour de la Provence and Tour de la Maritima du Var with Naira Quintana, which these they go to the same races RK go to. And now you get to get him to go all the same races on probably a third of the salary. So win for Total, put him on specialised, away you go. They're an option. Uh, UA, of course, are, <laughs> are always an option. Although I think didn't Nairo turn down their interest to re-sign with Arkea? I thought they were interested in him and he turned them down. Um, but maybe like they took Hirschi after the DSM um, sort of issues. So... UA is an option for him. Uh, Group Armour won't touch him. Cofidis probably won't touch him. Um, Bahrain, they with Lander. Nah, I mean Quickstep. <laughs> who Quickstep is full, I think. Um, yeah, but I don't see him at Quickstep. I don't see Quintana riding at Quickstep. It's just a no go for me. <laughs> it just, it just wouldn't work. It just, yeah, and like he probably expects his entourage to get signed or parts of it, like Dyer to get signed. And Quickstep, like, no, nah, we're not doing that. Ineos not happening. Intermarché full probably. Uh, I would say Movistar is a really good fit. Um, Valverde's <laughs> retired. It is though. Again, like, back to Movistar. <laughs> Obviously, you don't send him to the same races as Mars. Um, yeah. You send him to – you split him with the Giro Tour or whatever, or maybe they can both do the Welter. But like next year, they have Mars. Jorgensen I like, but the TT what setup's if, too bad for him. What if the Rodriguez signing is right for 2024? What, is, what if Carlos Rodriguez is actually joining this team in 2024? And I think – were there no other rumors that someone else was joining, Ruben Guerrero or something, to Movistar? Ah, like- uh, Guerrero, that's true. They're thinking about overpaying him for three years, yeah. <laughs> mm. True. If they're doing Guerrero, then they probably won't do Quintana because Guerrero is available now. I mean, I would sign Quintana if I was Movistar. They need points. They need more GC contenders. This is a GC team. It's not a classics team. It doesn't really have any bunch sprinters. They're not even really good in one-day races. <laughs> this is a Grand Tour stage racing team, and they have one GC contender right now, Enric Mas, who's very good, but you need more than one. You need three, you need four guys who can at least top 10 Grand Tours. And so uh, bring back Nairo, I say, and tell him he, he can't bring his entourage. Your new domestics, Matteo Jorgensen. Yeah, a true. And I swear there was another rumor that Gaviria was joining Movistar. It would be pretty crazy ah, to have like Gaviria, Quintana, Guerrero <laughs> all join <laughs> Movistar in one year. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think Movistar got a lot of issues uh, still, <laughs> even though they've saved themselves from relegation. Um, but yeah, Gaviria, I think, is a great pickup too if they do sign him because 
you need a bunch sprinter. Otherwise, you can't compete in like 40% of cycling races on the UCI yep. World Tour calendar, uh, particularly in stage races. So they got Cantor. He, he's not really broken through. He's had a lot of opportunities. They've got Garcia Cortina. He's not really a pure bunch sprinter. I think if you get those, I think they can form some sort of lead out for Gaviria. It's not going to be. For Aramburu. Yeah. For Aramburu, or he's going to be the last man? Gaviria is going to lead out Aramburu. Of course. Like, <laughs> we got to see the is better than Gaviria is a better okay. sprinter than Tim Lillier. Like, not close. In his prime, yes, but not no, now. No, no, right now. Better. I don't fucking believe it. Mate, how many mechanicals has Tim Lillier faked in grand, in stage races <laughs> the last two years? How many? It's at least four. <laughs> like, the guy okay, cannot position yeah. himself. He's He cannot compete in a sprint outside of the first three stages. Like, once they go... I'm, I'm not joking. I think Gaviria is better. Gaviria, like, look at Christoph from UAE to Intermarche. And Gaviria's, his lead outs have been not great a lot, a lot of the time and he positions himself well. I think, of course, side by side, 100 meters, Melia is going to beat him, but that's not all sprinting. Yeah. And Gaviria climbs better. So I think he's better. Okay. I accept your offer. <laughs> well, I can't say much more about Gaviria. Of course, Million <laughs> Quickstep is going to win so many races. That doesn't change my opinion. Like, and Gaviria is going to be on Movistar getting let out by Ivan Sosa. So that's not going to make, make his life easy, <laughs> is it? Um, but I still think Gaviria a little bit underrated uh, at the moment. But yeah, that's the news. Where do you think Quintana, hand on heart, where do you think he ends up? China Glory. That's, that's not a bad call. China Glory or Yolo Cometa uh, could be. Fuck you. Well, they need Contador a Giro GC him. leader. <laughs> would be pretty funny if Contador, Contador signs him and Fortunato. Well, they show Fortunato all the time, so he wouldn't miss the attack from Quintana from his wheel. So, yeah. That's a win. Yeah. BNB is a good call. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. Where Quintana goes, he came sixth in the tour before the Tramadol. Uh, annulment. He was looking pretty good for a lot of the year. Like okay, um, but yeah, he's not going to be on Arkea for the next couple of years. But that's all from us, Emilia, and some uh, transfer news and non-news. We'll be back maybe midweek. Will depend. No promises, but otherwise, we'll see with the Lombardia preview on about Wednesday. Ciao.